This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Christian Family Church of Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com. Good to see all of you here. Bless you. Hope you were up early enough to see some of the rain this morning. The answer to prayer, we'll keep praying for that. You know, as I see all these up here, we've got to realize that every name that's written on these cards will spend eternity somewhere. And so it's very important that you continue to pray and believe God. There was a man in our church that was in the first service, and he had told me that there was a man that I knew, and he said that he wasn't doing well, and he was up in the hospital in Albuquerque. And the Lord said to him, he said, I I need you to go witness to him. And so he obeyed, and he got up there, and he said, this man, and I knew the man, He had lived very evil and wicked. And the guy began to repent of all his sins. And he received Jesus as Lord of his life. And a month later, he died. And so again, as Shelly talked earlier, your your prayers and your laboring is huge. And so, you know, this time of year, it's, it's very easy to lead people to the Lord if you'll just be very sensitive to Him, okay? All right, let's roll here this morning. If you need a Bible, get your hand up. Um, we are in the, the series, week three of the hand-me-downs. Um, I'm, I'm going to start in, in Joshua 23. I'm going to skip a little bit here. I'm going to begin in Joshua 23, and then we'll be in Joshua 24. As, as you're turning there, let me give you a little insight of what's going to take place here. Today we're on hand-me-downs. Next week is Palm Sunday. Uh, one of the scripture reference on Palm Sunday is Psalm 118. Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, Hosanna. Uh, Psalms 118.25 says, Save now, O God, I say save now. So that will be next Sunday. Two weeks from today is Resurrection Sunday. And we celebrate the risen Savior. And it's going to be a glorious day. And then we come back on Sunday the 8th. We'll be on hand-me-downs 4. Sunday the 15th will be on hand-me-downs 5. And Sunday the 22nd. You will get to hear some of the stuff I'm going to speak about at the Men of Iron. So you've got a lot to come and look forward to. I encourage you, begin to get into the Word and let, let God move in your life. Now, we're going to begin here in Genesis, not Genesis, Joshua 23. We must understand this, that every one of us have choices. So, so much of what happens in my life hinges on my choices. I say it this way, every sacrifice is based on preference. You're here this morning because you sacrificed because this was important for you to be here. And it is. And so the way we make so many decisions in our life is, is one of three ways. Oftentimes we make decisions because this is how our family's always done it, whether right or wrong. Oftentimes we make decisions based on the society we live in or the people that you're around on a daily basis, whether right or wrong, or we choose to make our decisions based on the Word of God. Now, I'm going to show you that biblically, wherever bit of what I just said is in the Bible. But here's this man named Joshua in Joshua 23. Joshua is nearing the end of his life. And this was a man who lived for God day after day after day. Now, he lived for God even though a lot of times it wasn't popular. So we start in verse number 6. 
Therefore, be very courageous. Very courageous for what? To keep and to do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses. Now, it's interesting that he says this to him. Be very courageous. And so even with me and you, in the society we live in, it takes courage to serve God because a lot of times anymore, it's not very popular. It may not be popular here on earth, but it's very popular in heaven. He goes on to say, if you don't obey all that's written and be uh, courageous about it, least you're going to turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And so what can happen, there's times in my life that I'll hold God's hand on the left But on the right, I grab onto the things of the world. And that's not God's intention. God's saying, man, I I need you to be courageous. And part of being courageous is you're going to have to live by my word. Verse 7. And least you go among these nations, these who remain among you, you shall not make mention of your name, of their gods, nor cause anyone to swear by them. You shall not serve them nor bow down to them. But you shall hold fast to the Lord your God as you have done to this day. Now that phrase right there, you shall hold fast to the Lord your God. You're going to hear that reference several times. The word hold fast there means we will cling to him. And so when you look at this, here's here's the thought. You're going to cling to something. Either it's the things of God or the things of this world And so the things that I cling to not only affect me, they affect the generations behind me. So here's the question. What are you going to leave behind you? Your legacy. What will your kids and your grandkids, what will be the heritage you'll leave them? And so we skipped it to chapter 24. And understand, this is Joshua at the end of his life. He's on the verge of leaving and going to be with Jesus. And so these last words are his lasting impressions before he's gone. Now I want you to think about this. If you were on your last days here on the earth, what would you want to impact your kids and your grandkids, your great-grandkids? And if you're going to be like me, it's probably going to be my great-great-great-grandkids. I wouldn't want to tell them about, hey, do you know on whatever yesterday, yesterday was the 7th, Do you know on March 17th of 2018, Texas Tech got into the Sweet 16? There's nothing wrong with that. That's a great thing, but I don't think that'll have any ramifications in eternity. And so again, I want the things of God to be the stamp. And I become the model, and you become the model. And so he goes on here in in Genesis, not Genesis, Joshua 24, verse 14. Now, therefore, fear the Lord. Now, that word fear means to reverence and respect the Lord. I I don't know if you've ever done this, but I I encourage you and I invite you, begin to pray the fear of God back unto our homes, our children, our nation, because it's lacking. And so he says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him. And serve him. Now, the reason I'm going to highlight the word serve there. The word serve means an exclusive allegiance. Serve him with an exclusive allegiance. This was so big in his farewell uh, uh, expression, his farewell talk, 
that in verses 14 and 15, it's listed seven times the word serve. So he's one to leave them with an exclusive allegiance to God. So he says, serve him in sincerity or with a whole heart and in truth. And you're going to have to put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt. Now again, this is his farewell, his speech, and he says, you're going to have to put away the gods. And if you look at the word gods there, it's little g. So he's not talking about the God of Abraham and Isaac. He's talking about these false gods. And he says plural gods. The word put away means you're going to have to remove them. Get them out of your life. And he uses another word that really drew my attention the other day. He says fathers plural. Fathers, plural. So now he's going back generationally for us. Our forefathers, our ancestors, the things that contribute in our bloodline. And he gives us an insight and he said, The gods your fathers served while they were on the other side of the river. So now we go back into the nation of Egypt. And we know by the scriptures that when Moses was sent to the Israelites that they had been in bondage to the Egyptians for 400 years, and when they crossed the river to go to the Promised Land, that was another 40 years. So you're seeing right here in his farewell express, he's saying, there's been some gods that's hung around your bloodline for a long, 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 long time. And he says, put them away. Get rid of them. Remove them. And he ends verse 14, and he says... Serve the Lord. Now, I don't know how many people were around him when he said this, but there was a bunch. I know that when they crossed from, from Egypt into the Promised Land, there was over a million of them then. Now, I don't know how many of them around there, but over and over he says, Serve the Lord. Serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seems evil to you or undesirable to you this day. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord. Choose for yourself this day. Today. You're going to have to make a choice. Now what was the choice? Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river. Or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you will dwell. Now, if you'll note here, he said, you're, you're going to have to serve someone. And there's no option here of opting out or saying, I'm just going to be neutral. So the first one, he goes back and he says specifically, the God your father served. So you know what that tells me? Those are the choices that I usually make pertaining to my family members. Well, this is the way our family's always done it. But he said, put those away. And then he said, the gods of the land you're living in right now, which was the Amorites. And so guess what that is? That is the people within our society. And he said, don't take your your, uh, lessons of life from them. Don't listen to them. And so he begins to say all this. Don't do that. Don't serve those gods or these gods. Now, here's the thought for you. This question is still valid. 
Who do you choose to serve right now? And so sometimes we'll have the thought, my DNA made me do it. And when I say that, the people that we allow to help us in our lives, those are the ones that mold us. Those are the ones that become examples in our own lives, whether good or whether bad. And so literally, we reflect a lot of times the way our parents grew up. Now, I don't have to go that way, but this is why he's saying you got to put those away. And he goes on to say this at the end of verse 15. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. I don't know about what the rest of you yahoos are going to do. But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And so when you see what he's talking about there, to me, you know what he's saying? I'll be the model. I'll let you see what a godly person should look like. And he's saying, listen, if you live in my house, you're going to serve the Lord. If you don't want to serve the Lord, Stormy Swan paraphrased edition, hit the road, Jack. I don't want that for you, but if you're going to live in my house, we're going to serve the Lord. Now, when you look at this right here, it's one thing for me to say I'm going to serve the Lord. It's another thing for me to actually do it. And so there's a lot of people that they talk Jesus, but they don't walk Jesus. And Jesus dealt with that in in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21. He says specifically, there will be many of you that will say unto me, Lord, Lord. And he'll say, but I never knew you. Only those who obey my Father will enter into the kingdom of God. So now we begin to get something from this guy named Joshua. And as I look right here, it's the same thing right now. You're going to choose today. You're going to choose one of those areas of your life. And that's what your life will be modeled with. Now you're going to go to your right just a little bit. And we're going to come into the book of 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings 18. So I begin to go through the Bible. And I want to see about people within the Bible who chose to serve God. So we see this guy named Joshua. And if you remember Joshua, we're going to 2 Kings 18. If you remember Joshua's life... Twelve spies. Only him and a guy named Caleb said, we're going to serve God. That's why he said it's going to have to be a a courageous act to say, I'm going to serve God. You serve God right now in America, you're going to be persecuted, okay? If you serve the Lord Jesus, there's going to be some things that's going to happen with it. 2 Kings 18, verse 1. Now, I'm going to start here and then we're going to fill in the blanks. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. And he said, man, that's just a bunch of names. Well, yeah, it was. So now we see this guy named Hezekiah, he becomes king. His father's name was Ahaz. And if we go back and we study Ahaz's life, it says this about Ahaz. And Ahaz did evil in the sight of the Lord. It'll say one of two things. Either they did evil in the sight of the Lord, or they did what was good or right in the sight of the Lord. So this guy named Ahaz was very wicked. So now his son Hezekiah is king. Verse number 2. Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. 
His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. Verse 3. And Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father David done. Now when I see right here, Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord. Not in the sight of man, in the sight of the Lord. So this gets my attention because I think, you know what? I want to know what did he do that was so right or so pleasing in God's eyes. And so there's a couple ways we can look at this. Number one, his father was very wicked or evil. He could have easily followed that, but something within him said, something's wrong, something's out of order. I don't want to live this way. How many of you ever remember that? I remember as a teenager, my life was so messed up. And I came to a place in my life where I said, there's got to be more than how I'm living. How were you living, pastor? Drunk, stoned, messed up, messed up, messed up. And you know what I realized? There's got to be more to life than this sin that I'm living in, this partying. And I wish you young ones would just listen to me because we learn one of two ways. You learn by wisdom, by listening to what people have done that have messed up like me, or you learn the hard way. I don't want you to learn the hard way, okay? But if you don't listen to your mother and father, if they're godly, you're going to learn the hard way. And you know what goes with the hard way? A four-letter word called P-A-I-N, pain. And so something happened with Hezekiah where he said, I want to live differently. So what did he do? Verse 4. So Hezekiah, he removed the high places, and he broke the sacred pillars, and he cut down the wooden image and broken pieces, the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense to it and called it Neshustan, which was a false god. So the very first thing that Hezi does, he removes, he breaks And he cuts down all this junk in his life. In other words, he cleans house. He purges it. And you know what I believe he realizes? I'm not going to advance with the things of God like I desire. And God desires me as long as these things are in my life. So as I read this, this was a purging. What are the areas of your life that need to be purged? Could it be sin? Could it be the cares of this world? Here's another good one for you, okay? It could be the people you associate with. You've heard me say this. This is in the Hebrew. Are you addicted to stupid people? Well, you got to break your addiction. Because I'm going to tell you right now, they're going to pull you down. It's not going to be good. And sometimes it takes courage to say, you know what, buddy, I love you, but I can't be around you anymore because every time I'm around you, I get into trouble. Pastor, you kind of say that of an experience. It was experience. And so again, he begins to remove the abominations of his father. So here's what happens to us, I believe, as Christians. We get born again. You receive Jesus as Lord of your life. He forgives you of your sin. But it seems like all this junk, all these chains, all these walls 
keep following me. They cling to me. It's if these things express themselves within me. How many of you can relate to that? It's okay to raise your hand. That's me. I get born again and it seems like, man, all these things in my life are still happening. Keep reading here with me. Because the Lord's going to help us today. Verse 5. Hezekiah, he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. Now listen to this. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah. Knew her before him. And i got to figure out what this guy was doing. For he, Hezekiah, he, he held fast to the Lord. He clung unto the Lord. He cleaved unto the Lord. Now I begin to see a pattern. The same thing we read about Joshua. Joshua held fast to the Lord. He hung on to the Lord. That means day by day by day. God is not a Sunday thing. He's an everyday thing. And he says he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments, which the Lord God had commanded him. So when we begin to see this right here, that when I begin to hang out with the Lord and I stay with the Lord and I obey the Lord, obedience slams the door to sin. You can't obey God and live in sin. And so it begins to give an insight to me, even though his father was very ungodly, this guy said, I'm going to be godly. I'm going to be godly in an ungodly world. Look at verse 7. And the Lord was with him. And he prospered wherever he went. Now as I looked at this, when you see verse 7, it was a result of someone who said, I choose to serve God. I choose to serve God. Something happens when I choose God. Now, I'm going to have you go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 16. And I want to get into this because this is the question today. How do I deal with all the junk, the walls, and the chains of my life as a New Testament Christian? Are those things going to be with me forever? This passage here, I believe, is really going to help you. And if you're going to take notes today, get right here. So I'm going to paraphrase just real briefly. We're in Matthew 16. The Lord Jesus has got all his disciples around. And he said, hey, fellas, who do men say that I am? And they looked at Jesus and said, well, some say you're a prophet. Some say you're a priest. Some say you're John the Baptist. And as Jesus hears all the descriptions these guys give him, he looks at them and he asks them the million-dollar question. But who do you say I am? He didn't say, who does your mama say I am? He didn't say, who does Uncle Buck say that I am? He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter stands up and says, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. And when Peter says that to him, the Lord Jesus responds and said, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Barjona. Flesh and blood haven't revealed this, but the Spirit has. So the minute this man named Peter says, You are the Son of God, you are the Christ, you're the Messiah, 
Jesus responds, you're blessed. So you know what this tells me? The moment we receive Jesus as Lord of our life, in his eyes, we've now stepped into the blessing. We've come underneath the authority. Now again, no one could make that decision for Peter but Peter. And so Jesus says to him, bless are you. So we pick up Matthew 16, verse number 18. And Jesus talking here, and he said, And I also say to you that you are Peter. He knew Peter's name. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. They shall not overpower it. They shall not overcome it. And you know what he just said there? He said, all the Peters of the world, all the Peters, the men, the women that are human beings, that believe in their heart that I am the Lord, the Savior, the Christ, the Messiah, I'm going to take the Peters of this world and I'm going to build my church off of the Peters of this world and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so when we get born again, we become children of God. And if you study Peter's life, before Peter was around Jesus, he was Peter the pathetic. But because he began to be sold out to him day after day, Peter the powerful. Something began to happen with Peter. And Jesus said, I'm going to build my church with you, Peter's. He still does that to this day. Verse 19. And I, the Lord Jesus, will give you the Peters of the world who give their heart to Jesus and get born again. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you got the keys of the kingdom of heaven, you know what you can do with keys? You can do two things with them. You can lock and you can unlock. And so Jesus right here says to all you Peters, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. I give you my authority. Now look what he says to us as Peters. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Now we got to identify what that word bound means. The word bound means there. What you forbid on earth will be forbid in heaven. So literally stated that I believe will help us. He's saying whatever you lock on earth will be locked in heaven. I give you the keys to lock. And then he said whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So now you know what he's told us? The word loose means whatever we permit. Whatever we unlock. And isn't it interesting that Jesus said... I gave you the keys. Now with the keys, everything we do, we lock and we unlock in the name of Jesus. I don't have authority and you don't have authority to do it out of my own ability. But when I come under the authority of Jesus as Him as Lord of my life, everything changes. So I'm reading this passage not long ago. And I began to kind of whine about life, about things that were happening that I didn't like. And this is the thought the Lord said to me. He said, 
you're putting up with way too much stuff. And the question then came into my mind, and it was this. Does Jesus need to go on the cross and die for you again? I said, no. He said when he died on the cross, it was finished. He didn't need to do it again. And then the thought came to me, does he need to go back to hell and bruise the devil's head and disarm principalities and powers? That's all second, not second, that's Colossians 2.15. And when the Lord spoke that into my heart, I said, no. He's already done all that. He doesn't need to do it again. So in a roundabout way, you know what the Lord was saying to me? The same he's saying to you. Jesus isn't the issue. You're the issue. I've done everything that I'm going to do, and I pitched you the keys. And so when it even comes to this area in our lives, when I've been dominated by certain areas, he said, bind that up. Bind it up. So how would that look? Well, in my own life, Lord, I, I bind up that spirit of alcohol. I bind that junk up in the name of Jesus. I lock it in the name of Jesus, and I unlock grace, and I unlock mercy, and I unlock a, a life and a nature of Jesus within me. In Jesus' name. And so guess what? That's what he's telling every one of us in this room. I've given you the keys. Oh, you should have shouted on that one. So you know what I've been doing for the last month? Man, I am locking and I am unlocking. And these are truths that I've known for 35 years of my life. But you know what happens sometimes with human nature? We think it's easier to start belly aching and whining and complaining. It is, woe is me. My life is so much harder than everybody else. I work harder than everybody else. Woe is me. Well, you can have that mentality, and you're going to get your bottom kicked, okay? And that's what the Lord said. You're putting up with too much. Go with me to the book of Revelations, and we'll end with this. Revelations chapter 3. Now, I'm going to throw something in here. When I get born again, Jesus gives me his authority. We saw that. So because the authority I have in his name, I have jurisdiction. I've got to learn to use it. But if I have jurisdiction and it's not working in my life how the Bible says it is supposed to, then there's a good sign that there's sin in my life that hadn't been repented of or even generational sin in my life that has not been repented of. And so when I allow sin to stay in my life, it gives the devil legal reason to come into my life and affect it. I'm going to tell you something right now that I believe this is very important that everyone of us gets hold of. When we repent, it's just not, well, Father God, I, I repent of that sin. I believe it needs to come from the heart, but I also believe when it comes to generational stuff that there needs to be a Thorough repenting. 
It needs to be done thoroughly. Now, I don't know if you've ever done that, but when you begin to see patterns in your bloodline that repeat, that repeat, that repeat, I'm going to tell you, you've got to get on your knees and before God and begin to say, Lord, I repent of this. And what's happened to me several times in my life, with me and Shelly, we begin to repent of the sins of our bloodline. When we would get in there and just with the sincerity, Father God, break this, and it, it was like a gusher. Stuff would start jumping out of us, and we're like, oh my gosh, listen to that, listen to that. Father God, we repent of sin. We repent of anger. We repent of pride. We repent of religion. We repent of, uh, of alcohol. We repent of sexual immorality. We repent, we repent. And I'm telling you, the more descriptive and thorough I got, the more it was like, man, God was moving. He moved in that situation. Now, I was in a setting a year ago in January, and I was with a group of pastors. And we were all beginning to repent of sin. And this one that's on my brother's staff, he was repenting. I mean, he was going at it. It's like a Gatlin gun. Stuff was just coming out. And so me and my brother, we're sitting by each other on these chairs. And we're just praying in the Spirit. And we're listening to this guy repenting. Man, Father God, I repent of this and this and this. Oh my. I mean, it's a gusher. And he says, and Lord, I repent of my family being a money grubber. And when the minute he said money grubber, me and my brother fall out on the floor laughing. And the guy's repenting. He stops and he sees us two knuckleheads laughing. And he's saying, what's so funny about that? Well, we looked at each other and we realized, whatever a money grubber is, that's in our bloodline. So you know what we did? We said, what's a money grubber? We started doing some history on that. My grandfather in Oklahoma, he had a massive farm, thousands of acres. And on that farmland to this day, if you live in Oklahoma, you got mineral rights. My mom and dad still have mineral rights. I never knew this until about a year or two ago that my grandfather got all that land and those mineral rights in a poker game. <laughs> you know what my first question was? What type of hand did he have to win? <laughs> Here's an amen. Better stated, he was probably a horse thief. There's no telling what all he did. And so I repent of that. And I repent of that. And I believe it's important that you repent of that periodically because the devil will try to come back into your family. He'll try to come back into your bloodlines because remember this, he doesn't go after your strengths, he goes after your weaknesses. There's power in repentance. He hates it. You know why? Because the Bible says when we repent of your, our sins, God takes it and he throws it into the sea of forgetfulness. And so if God forgot it, man, he wants to blot that stuff out. And so the devil will always try to bring that in. And so again, I'm not proud of the things that's in my bloodline, but the truth of the matter is, every one of us in here, our bloodline is contaminated. Not mine, Pastor. Yeah, yours is. Until you let Jesus in there and clean you up. Now, here we are in Revelation 3. And he wrote to seven different churches. 
This one here, if you'll look in verse 7, above verse 7, it says, to the faithful church. So when I see to the faithful church, man, it got my attention. What's happening there? Well, let's read. He goes on to say, and to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. The word Philadelphia means brotherly love. It was a church of brotherly love. These things says, he who is holy, he who is true, and he who has the key of David. And you may say, well, I don't understand that. Well, he who is, is true and he who is faithful and holy, that was the Lord Jesus. And when he said, he who has the key of David, that's the Lord Jesus. If you were to cross-reference that, you would go to Revelations 5.5, 5, and it describes Jesus as, as the Lion of the tribe of Judah and of the Root of David. So Jesus' bloodline comes right through King David. King David had authority. And so it says here again, He who has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts, and he who shuts and no one opens. Listen to what the message says on that. Opening doors no one can lock, and locking doors no one can open. Now where did that get my attention? That comes specifically from Matthew 16, 19, where Jesus said, I give you the keys. This is where it is. So in the faithful church, guess what he's saying? You got the keys, boys and girls. Use them. Verse number 8. It's okay to shout in here, I promise. I know your works. I know your deeds. I know your actions. See? I have set before you an open door. And no one will shut it, for you have a little strength or you got a little power. And so the power he gives us again is in the name of Jesus. Everything I do, I tag it with the name of Jesus. And he goes on to say, now watch this. And no one can shut it, for you have a little strength. And you have kept my word. And you have kept my word. You have not denied my word even when it's not popular. You have kept my word. Something happens when we keep his word. And you have not denied or renounced my name. And you know in our society, there's a lot of religions that will talk about Jesus. There's a lot of religions that will say, well, I believe Jesus was a prophet. I believe Jesus was a priest. But the key is, is he the Messiah? Is he the Son of God? So again, if you ever have someone knocks on your door and you ask them about Jesus and they say, well, I believe in Jesus, ask them, well, just tell me, what do you believe about Jesus? Well, a lot of them will say, I believe he's a prophet. Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe he resurrected from the dead? Because if they deny that, tell them have a good day and they need to get saved, okay? I'm just warning you right now. There's ones that teach that, okay? And I don't think I need to tell you who some of them are because you probably figured out. You know the Muslims? They acknowledge Jesus as a prophet. But they don't acknowledge him as the son of God. Don't denounce or deny, renounce the name of Jesus. Verse 10. I skipped verse 9 on purpose. Verse 10. Because you have kept my commandments to persevere, 
I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which shall come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now when he says here, you've kept my word, my command to persevere, that was Hezekiah. That was Joshua. So you don't fluke being a godly man or woman. You either are or you aren't. Verse 11. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast, just like Jeremiah or Joshua and just like Hezekiah did. Hold fast to what you have, that no one may take your crown. So again, I must hold fast to the Lord Jesus. I must hold fast to the Word of God. And he ends in verse 12 and he says, or he starts in verse 12, He who overcomes. Do you know the only way I overcome? Is by the blood of Jesus. Revelations 12, 11. So he gives me two great insights there. He says, listen, you got to stay with the Word and you got to stay with Jesus. Day by day, and I'll end with this, and I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. The one who stays with the word. The one who stays under the name of Jesus. So guess what happens with me and you? Day by day, I live by the word. Day by day, I say, Father God, grace me. He gives grace to the humble to live by the word of God. And then, and something happens when I stay under the blood of Jesus. Oh Lord, wash me today. Cleanse me to die. See, here's what has to happen. And I saw this with, with Hezekiah's time. And I saw this with Joshua's time. And it's no different now. In this passage right here. We are to correct. And we are to confront sin. And we are to encourage. I believe this with all my heart. The church that quits correcting and confronting church, uh, sin becomes the dead church. Now I've pleaded with the Lord at times, Lord, I don't want to preach on that. Let me preach on something else. Thank you. I heard that. I received that. And tell you right now, there's times it's not fun to say, hey, we got a sin problem. But I'm no different than any of you. And so the more I attract to God and the more I listen to the Word of God and the more I stand to the blood of Jesus, the more holier He makes us. And He said right there, I want you to be a pillar. I want you, I want you to be strong in an ungodly uh, society. How I many of you young ones ever thought this? God wants you to be the salt of your campus. God wants you to be strong in the things of the Lord. And I can tell you right now, a lot of you that are in high school, you stand up for the name of Jesus, you're going to get persecuted. You're going to need great courage. And I pray over you young ones right now. I pray over you old ones, depending on how you want to identify your age. Thank you for listening today. For more information, please visit faithchurchlubbock.com.